listening to the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. So as mentioned, uh, we're in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 over the next two weeks. Uh, Today, it's just going to be verse 1. So um, you probably know it off by heart, but um, it would still be prudent to get your Bibles out uh, to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're in the New International Version. Um, yep, so read along with me, and yeah, uh, probably you've, you, you do know it off by heart, but the reason why it's good to have the text in front of us is just so that you can check whether I'm lying to you or not, um, which I <laughs> promise I'm not doing. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So God, speaking through the Apostle Paul, is urging every single believer that we are to offer the, the totality of our being to God. I don't know your lives. Um, I don't know how devout you are. Probably you are because you are out on this um, freezing morning. Uh, but wherever we are, this is the call that God makes to every Christian, uh, the, to give the totality of our lives, our beings to God. So uh, we're going to unpack this a little bit uh, and look at what it means and and, and so that we can take it seriously uh, of what it means to live our lives for God. Uh, so let, let's um, make our way through this. Uh, look at the description of this offering that uh, Paul talks about in verse 1. First of all, uh, he says that this is a deliberate offering. Paul urges, I urge you, and he, and he says to offer. Now, um, this means that this is an act of the will. It's something that we cognitively and deliberately do. It's not just automatic. It's not something that just happens. It's not something someone else can do for us. It's us actively choosing to yield our lives, uh, our, our money, our body, our possessions, our time, future, whatever, everything to God. It's deliberate. Now, I think it's worth noting that um, I guess in our English language, the, the, the semantic range for the word offer um, can lead to different connotations. So, for example, um, there's one sense where to offer something is very theoretical, isn't it? Uh, it's not like an actual thing. So let's say you came over to my house and I offered you a cup of tea. Uh, nothing has actually happened. I've, just, I've merely offered something to you and you could say, no, thank you, and nothing takes place, right? Uh, but clearly when Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, that's not what he means, right? He, he's talking to people who are well-versed in and animal sacrifices, whether Jewish or pagan. And so to offer doesn't mean uh, take a lamb to the priest and say, oh, hey, can you, can you just please check with God if he wants uh, the sacrifice or not, as if we were offering God a cup of tea. Uh, no, in a sacrifice, to offer means actively and actually to give. The lamb is actually and deliberately slaughtered and placed on the altar and burnt up. Uh, it's a deliberate offering. Paul also says that it is a bodily offering. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, This means giving the totality of our being to God. Uh, Paul is is also speaking in relation to giving our physical bodies. um, We know this because in Romans chapter 6, he said, do not offer any part of yourselves, talking about hands, feet, tongue, head, etc., to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. So Paul is saying, 
hey, you used to use your bodies as instruments of wickedness. Now give your bodies to God. So, with, so we use our minds to worship God. We use our eyes to look for the needs of others. We use our tongue and our mouths to, to, to bless others and to praise God and to uh, speak words that are going to give grace to those who hear. Uh, we use our hands to serve. We use our feet to take the gospel to others and so on. So it's a bodily offering. Paul also says that it is a constant offering. Uh, so animals that were killed up as they were offered as sacrifices, they were killed up, they are burnt up, and that was done. Uh, Paul says ours is a living sacrifice, and one that is constant, that's ongoing, uh, one that lives this new life that God has granted us, and we're constantly always presenting all of ourselves that we are aware of, uh, so as we grow in the Christian life, uh, we become area, aware of areas in our lives that we haven't actually yielded to God, and then as living sacrifices, we place that on the altar, and we grow, and we're more keenly aware of the Lordship of Christ, and discover areas of our lives that we haven't yielded to Him, and then we place that on the altar, and yield it to God, and so on and so on. It's a constant offering. It's living. And so, an offering to God is more than just a, a fervent, Jesus, I will die for you, as great as that is. But it's more than that. It's Jesus, I will actually live for you, too. It means constantly offering everything that we are and have to God as an act of worship. That's why, um, no matter how far we've progressed in the Christian life, we s- keep reading, we keep studying, we keep learning keep participating in in our small groups and so on, because no one clocks the Christian life. We're always yielding and learning more uh, to God as living sacrifices. Paul also says uh, it's an obedient offering. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. It's an obedient offering. And the reason I've categorized holy and pleasing under obedient, is because when you look at the trajectory of all of Scripture, uh, I think holiness and obedience seem to go hand in hand, right? Uh, the prophet Samuel, he said this in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two: uh, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So this offering of our lives is an obedient one, one that is holy and pleasing to God. Now, God is the one who has declared us holy, and so we stand morally perfect before God um, because He sees us in the moral perfection of Jesus Christ. Um, but, so positionally, we are holy before God, but practically, there's a lot of work to be done, right? Uh, we all sin, we all stumble, we all mess up time to time all the time. Uh, So our offering of our lives is to be holy and pleasing to God. So it requires a very deliberate renouncing of sin and walking in obedience. And you go into any group of Christians, and there's a very high chance that there will be Christians who are constantly and I guess willfully sinning against God. I'm not talking about the, the Christian who struggles with a sin. That's every single one of us in the room. But I'm talking about deliberate, willful sinning. And if we live like this, uh, I guess the warning is it reveals that our hearts are actually, perhaps, our hearts are unregenerate 
and we still have a heart of stone and we're not actually a born-again Christian and we stand to be judged uh, for our sin. Or we have some serious waking up to do and repenting to do because that's not a life that is holy and pleasing to God. So we better not come to God with a duplicitous life. So I guess uh, my appeal as the person with the microphone right now is that if any of us here are willfully sinning against God, not tripping up, but willfully sinning against God, the call is to repent, to turn back, because even if you are a willful, drunk murderer at heart, drunk, murderous at heart sinners who come to God are the kind of people that he receives. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. And I think us in here, we've been Christians long enough to know that God is not surprised by our sin. Uh, he knows what we're doing. He knows that we would do it, um, but He saved us anyway, right? Like when God saved us, He knew you were going to do that wicked thing that, you're, that you might be doing right now. And so that didn't stop Him from saving you. My point is that God's disposition towards us isn't come over here so I can give you a hiding. It's, it's come over here so I can embrace you and I can restore you. That's the heart of our Father. And so His, his dispos disposition towards us is one of love and favor if we are His children. And if we think God is mad at us for our sin, then we don't understand the cross because at the cross Jesus paid for and dealt with the penalty of our sin. Jesus paid it all. God doesn't hold those sins against us. So, I, I, look, I don't know what sin you struggle with. If it's drunkenness, give that up to God. That's not, what he, that's not the life He desires for us. If it's bitterness or, or self-pity, give that up to God. That's not the life that He wants for us. I tell you, um, the best life that we can live is one of freedom from sin. And you know this to be true, right? Yeah, you, you've, you've probably... Um, is anyone here under 32? Okay, all bar one person. Two. All bar two people. Uh, you've, you've lived life longer than I have and probably lived uh, Christian lives longer than I have. Uh, so we know, we know that the obedient life is a happy life, Right? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to, to trust and obey. So if you want a happy life, let the offering of our lives be one that is holy and pleasing. And if you're hearing this, and hopefully you are, and you're thinking, oh, okay, like, that's wonderful. I really want to be a good Christian and, and deliberately and constantly, bodily, obediently give my life to God every single day as a living sacrifice. And that's awesome. But we need to remember what we've said uh, that it's, it's about the cross. Uh, we need to remember the right motivation for our obedience. Because if we don't, uh, we are very prone to falling into uh, two spiritually unhealthy traps. Uh, it's, the, it's the you owe me trap, the God owes me trap, or the I owe God trap. What this is, uh, the, the, the you owe me trap, the God owes me trap, is that we're motivated to live the Christian life because we think that if we do, if we live such good Christian lives, then we're storing up lots of brownie points with God. As if, um, God, I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine, 
uh, I'll do you a favor and you do me a favor. And, and probably none of us would word it like that. Uh, but if you're anything like me, you're prone to feeling some kind of injustice when something bad happens to us, right? Like, God, how can I have cancer? I've been a faithful Christian my whole life. Like, why me? That's so unfair. You know, I bet we're all guilty of it. And I, I know even I've thought things like that where I've thought, hey, hey, God, like, it's so unfair that all these other pairs of mine, they have so much money to buy their wives and their children nice things and go on trips and stuff. And, and I'm serving you here in the church and I, I can't do any of that stuff, God. Like, that, how is that fair? You know, you know, I'm sure we've thought things like this before. And what that reveals about our thinking is that, hey, God, actually, you owe me. You can't do this to me because I've been a good Christian for 20 years. I never swear. I go to church every week, blah, blah, blah. You can't do this to me. And when we fall into this trap, our faith is, is going is to get destroyed. It's going to suffer when hard times come because we think that God isn't good. We think God isn't sovereign. We think God isn't powerful and mighty to save and so on. So our theology gets messed up. And if our theology gets messed up, our worship and our witness gets messed up too. So that's the God owes me trap or the I owe God trap, the I owe you trap, which is, okay, God, I'm such a sinner. I suck. I'm terrible. But you have been so good to me that I owe you big time. And I'm going to be a really good Christian. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to evangelize 77 times a week. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm never cuss, so on and so on. And if that's the motivation, you know what happens to the Christian life? It just becomes a very, very burdensome, a tiring task. It's not a life of freedom that, that Galatians talks about. It becomes exhausting, demanding, oppressive, because we have such a huge debt to make up to God uh, that no amount of fervent devotion, or to put in Martin Luther's words, no amount of monkery is going to make up for the, the, the chasm between us and God. So our desire matters. Why do we serve God? Why do we want to reach 10,000 people with the gospel? Why do we live our lives for God? And if the reason for that is anything other than a, a glad heart understanding who He is and what He has done, <coughs> then we live in a very dangerous place. We're standing on a tightrope uh, between the you-owe-me trap and the, and the I-owe-you trap. And so it needs to be from a joyful, heartfelt, free, willing heart that understands who he is and what he has done. You know, Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it ties back to what he said in chapter 11. Um, the last verse of chapter 11 says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The point is, God is grand. He's sovereign. He's the boss. He's almighty. And it logically follows that our entirety of our lives are for him. He's worthy of us giving our whole lives. But he's also harking back to the rest of Romans, right? Romans chapter 1 through to 11, where he's been talking, talking doctrine, 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 this amazing doctrine of justification, how God saves sinners. And so when he says, therefore, he's talking about how to apply all of that doctrine in verses uh, chapters 1 through 11 about this is who God is and what he has done therefore we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice 
And what he's been saying in those first 11 verses is basically um, that we're, we're stinkers. We're hopelessly lost in our sin. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. Not, there's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. We've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And some of us did it through drugs and alcohol. Some of us did it through promiscuity or bitterness or anger. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if that is our true condition outside of Christ, and it is, and if God is a holy and perfect and righteous judge who hates sin, and he is, then our greatest need is not to just do better, because that's not going to happen. And it's not for God to lower his standards, because that's not going to happen either. Our greatest need is mercy, the mercy of God. And we need that mercy because we've disobeyed God a billion, billion gazillion times. We rightly deserve to be judged and punished for our sin. We're all guilty as charged. And this is important because without understanding our sin and our unholiness before God, who is perfect and holy and righteous, mercy means nothing otherwise, right? Many Christians today want to say that God is loving and gracious and merciful, which he is, but won't affirm our deep sinfulness and God's holy hatred and righteous anger towards sin and won't affirm that we have deeply offended God. And if we do that, then we have cheapened God's mercy. We've cheapened God's mercy. Suppose, suppose I was passing the communion juice around and... I spilt some of the juice on your shirt. And you said, no, don't worry, that's okay, I forgive you. That, that's, that's great. Um, but the mercy that you've shown me isn't all that great because the offense isn't all that great. Right? But suppose after the service, you invite me over for tea and I accidentally burn your house down. I know that escalated very quickly. <laughs> but I burned down your house, and then you say, no, don't worry about it. I forgive you. The mercy that you have shown me is massive because the offense was massive. Especially in Auckland, right? You're not buying a house anytime soon. So the point is, when we're talking about God's mercy and His grace, it's only... It's only amazing grace, it's only marvelous grace of our loving Lord if we understand the size of our offense. Now, one pastor put it like this, it's because God's wrath is real that His mercy is relevant. Unless you have a real wrath, a real anger, the biblical concepts of long-suffering of mercy and grace are robbed of their meaning. Paul is saying, that his urging of fellow believers to offer their lives completely to God is not just because God is glorious and everything is from him and through him and for him, but it's also in view of God's mercy. And God's mercy is beautifully displayed in Romans. He's saying, he's saying this in Romans 5. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Why, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's mercy. It's not once we 
stopped being sinners and cleaned up, Christ died for us. Because then that's not mercy. That's us getting what we, the good things we deserve. It's mercy. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul's saying, hey, remember who God is. Remember what he's done. Remember he's a good and kind father who is for us and he has made a way. So the correct desire for giving our lives completely to God is, is once we have understood who he is and once we've experienced his grace and mercy towards us in Jesus Christ. And when we understand how kind someone has been to us, uh, it's not burdensome to want to serve them. It's free and joyous because we love them. We know they're for us. We know there's no fear of punishment or failure. It's free. So in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so I guess that means if there are any of us here today who have not offered the totality of our lives as living sacrifice, sacrifices, the good news is uh, we don't have to fake it anymore because uh, God offers a much more satisfactory life, a life that is lived in total submission to Him. And I know that's the better and more satisfactory life because that's the way He's designed us, right? It's much better than one that is partially lived for God um, because that's never going to satisfy us because that's not what we were made for. Luke 12, 15 down to 21 tells us that we were made to have a rich relationship with God, not just a Sunday between 9 and 10 a.m. And God in Christ has been mercifully merciful to us. He's called us, He saved us, and Jesus is proof that God is for us. And so we have every reason to freely offer up the totality of our lives as reasonable, logical, rational act of worship. That's what true and proper worship means. In view of God's mercy, it's only reasonable that we give our whole lives to Him. And so in a moment, uh, we're going to close the service through, uh, I guess, one last song. Um, but I get, before we finish, before we sing that song, uh, I'd just like, like ask us to consider, have we given the entirety of our lives to God as a living sacrifice? Now, I've been a Christian for 20 years, um, and I'm sure many of you have been Christians for much longer than that. Um, and I know that in my, in my teenage years, I was an idiot, but in my, in my 20s, um, I, I left nothing in the tank when it comes to, to serving God and loving Him and offering my body as a living sacrifice. You can, you can do that as a single man, you know? And I guess when I entered my 30s and got married and started having kids and stuff, um, the, the danger or the temptation for me is to go, I gave God a solid decade, so I need to slow, I, you know, I, I can take a step back and, and not, you know, now I need to focus on just getting money or like whatever. You know, that temptation is there because I feel like, oh, I've, I've, done, I've done my part, you know? And so I guess my point is, you know, 20 years, perhaps more for you, um, we can get to a point where we think, oh, you know, I've done pretty good I've given 30, 40 years of my life to him. I've offered, I've given him all my money, but I'll still hold on to this or this, or I'll still hold on to bitterness or anger or this or that or whatever. So the question is, have we given our entire lives as living sacrifices to him? And 
to the best of our knowledge, perhaps some of us, it's yes. And that's awesome and encouraging. Uh, may your view of God's mercy keep spurring you on and on. You keep dying to yourself and living for God. Uh, but don't get complacent because as the saying goes, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. So we never lose sight of God's mercy. Never. And so as we sing, may it be a, a renewal of our resolve to keep living our lives as an offering to Him. As we sing of how great He is, let that be a resolve, renewal of our resolve. Oh God, you are, you are God and you deserve my whole life. And for some of us, it might be a clear no uh, where God doesn't factor into our lives beyond this time here. Or if you're not a Christian and God doesn't factor at all, then in view of God's mercy, will you give your life to Him as you sing and recognize who this God is? May it be uh, words of aspiration as you desire to give Him your whole life. And if there are clear and obvious sins that we refuse to yield to God, um, I, I implore you in view of God's mercy, will you come back to Him and give Him your whole life and you can do that in your own heart, right? You don't need to come up here. You don't need to go into a confessional booth or anything like, like that. <laughs> you can do that between you and God in your hearts. And so as, as you sing, let it be from a sincere heart of repentance with a, a new sense of offering our lives to God. And if you need to, if you, you know, your, your pastors and leaders, are, you know, Mark may be away, but other church leaders are here and your church family is here. And so when our, our burden to live the secret compartmentalized Christian lives are lifted and we kind of have the, like, we have the view of God's mercy and recognize, wow, this is who God is, then imagine <coughs> the genuine, authentic Christian lives that we can live out in front of a watching world here and how strongly that would testify to 10,000s and 10 more thousands of people of the kindness and grace and mercy of our God. Just imagine that. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you as the merciful, kind, loving God who, um, who loved us and saved us when we didn't deserve it. And so, God, we pray that uh, for this church here at OBC, uh, may, may they be a people who recognize your mercy and are spurred on to love and good deeds. Uh, we want to reach the people in this community, God. And we know that's not going to happen if we're uh, living Christian lives that are burdensome, that are about rules and ticking boxes. So we want to live free Christian lives, and that's only going to come if we recognize you for who you are. So God, do that in us, we, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.